Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And welcome to Rule of Three, a podcast about comedy. I'm Jason Hazley. And I'm Joel Morris. And as usual, we're joined by someone who makes comedy to talk about something funny that they love. By taking it apart, maybe we'll learn something about how comedy works. Or we'll just quote bits from it and giggle until we're finished. Both approaches are valid. Our special guest today is the award-winning giant of comedy, Dara O'Brien. Hello! Hello. (laughs) <laughs> Welcome to the Volcano Base. It's a pleasure to be here in, in what is clearly Corrupt FM, the uh, yeah. episode two of that show, where you've just nailed foam to the wall. In this is a huge studio. move forward from using Ladybird books as bathroom, which we had <laughs> in the old office. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, but as you can tell, it's uh, been very much decorated by amateurs. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, again, I'm actually I'm not sure of the science of any of the placing of any of these no, uh, random collection of eggshell squares that you've no, done. I don't no. think this... I don't it's think been done aesthetically rather than acoustically. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. That <laughs> well, seems not, to be the I'm wrong not, thing. Now I look at it, I don't really <laughs> it's been done aesthetically. <laughs> it's ugly. Well, obviously you you can't uh, enjoy any of this at home. But yes, we are in what appears to be a gang hut, uh, yeah, which we yes. have, we have put some foam on the walls. But that's that's the joy of podcasting. Isn't yes, it? it is. If you went somewhere very swish, you'd wonder what we'd spent the no money on. Yeah, <laughs> this is you can, every penny is is on the walls. I just think it's very on brand that (laughs) you have made your uh, acoustically sound in the same way as a sitcom did. Uh, I just think that's very, you know, it's a a nod, it's a reference. It uh, it is. And that is very wise and knowing. People just do podcasts. You homaged your your own (laughs) office to a sitcom guy. Dara, it's brilliant that you've agreed to come on because I think I bumped into you in Edinburgh and you were saying you'd enjoyed how rude we were about stand-up. Uh, yes, we are. And, and actually, I think I found that quite refreshing because I think there is um, obviously rightly uh, a lot of analysis of stand-up, but there's nothing stand-up like more than analysing stand-up and discussing it as, <laughs> is that the, true? as the queen of sciences that it is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's actually the term for mathematics. The, because we, I mean, and there's some really good ones. I mean, Stuart Goldsmith's um, Comedians, Comedians great. Podcast is fantastic. Mm. The, and there are any number of other ones in which comedians is go strokey beard and uh, discuss uh, oh, what the we craft. do. What we do is yeah, both instinctual and also reflective and elemental, uh, and uh, and really get into it way too much. So I actually quite enjoyed the fact that you, the direction you took on it was a was leaving stand up, and what a relief that was. Uh, there's losing the sense of obligation that stand up is the the doorway into the comedy industry. And right. it, it was a very refreshing take, and I feel you've completely any of the kudos you built up by doing that. You have lost by inviting me on <laughs> now, and well, so, we, that, so that the, so that this cancer can seep into even your uh, podcast about uh, stand up talking about itself. If you do have a sort of feeling, which I probably do a little bit about stand up, that I, it does annoy me that very often it's the default 
mode of comedy discussion. Stand-ups yeah. talking to stand-ups. So he thought, well, we'll do something about giving up stand-up just to say it's a hard job and sometimes people don't like it or sometimes it doesn't suit a certain temperament. But it doesn't mean I don't like stand-up. And I'm really glad we're getting a chance to talk about it today. Well, actually, yeah, I, I think it is. there is a um, certainly tendency in, in, in Edinburgh to regard Edinburgh and the, and the one-person solo show as being the essential path of how you get into becoming any kind of comedy performer. Like, we even knew when I was doing it, you could see the stand-ups were the ones who uh, were on, say, at, from six o'clock till midnight. The sketch and character people were on from four to six. And we'd know like, that generally, <laughs> ben, ben and Arne and yeah. uh, Ormond Meat and all these people, like whatever. And you see them hanging around at six as we arrived in, sashayed in to do our late-night evening shows where they'd done their character-based shows like whatever and it was, there was a real schism between those, really? two, those those two times and then as it went on their shows were difficult for them to tour sketches yes. it's very difficult to tour it's very difficult to bring anywhere like, but the brass ring of those uh, 10 greatest moments in the history of comedy always came from that lot Really? Always came from Williams and uh, oh. and Catherine Tate and yeah. of that generation yeah. because stand up is ultimately quite ephemeral. Some things land in a sort of big way, but nothing lands as big as a character. Um, that so amazing. so they were quietly doing their work to smaller audience, and we thought we were the kings, but little <laughs> knowing that we were smushed up against the ceiling, uh, that they they would <laughs> vault and fall to a bar and become beloved, uh, and they would create moments. So the stuff that people think of when they think of comedy out there yeah. is very rare stand-up. It's very weird because I think the divides within comedy always uh, are surprising to outsiders who just consume comedy and assume yeah. it's a big thing. It's the comedy has a, there's a comedy department at, at broadcasters and it's all doing one thing and actually it, it's divided into tiny little slices. We used to joke sometimes we bump into people like, like Jed Parsons who writes for Have A Good News For You and we say I'm sorry your your department is a wry look at the week's news. We're mainly a sideways look at modern life <laughs> and I'm sorry we never meet otherwise uh, we meet at a BBC party once a year but otherwise we really don't work on the same shows. You can divide your skill up into tiny, tiny slices. Yes, you can. You can niche it as much as you want. But you know the strokey beardy thing? Yeah. I know what you mean about that, but... What's the problem with that? Is the problem that it's you're doing it out loud? Because presumably you, as a stand-up, have to subject all your material to quite a degree of scrutiny and trial, don't you? Yeah, you, well, you do, but you actually a lot of it is kind of a retrospective analysis. I have a question that I'm asked repeatedly about science and the relationship between science. Oh, you do science and you do comedy. Surely there's no relation with that. And I have a stock answer to the stock question about how... A lot of what you do in maths, for example, is using logical tricks like reductio ad absurdum, where you take, yeah. where you presume something incorrect and then you follow it to a, con- a conclusion. And if it leads to an inconsistency, like two equals one, then therefore you throw the the initial assumption yeah. is, is wrong, right? Uh, and we sort of instinctively do that all the time when you talk to an audience member and they make a mistake and you go really and you leap and then you yeah. cre- you create a universe in which this is the central part of their life. The uh, and and then until eventually it just breaks under the contradictions and. It's all very funny, but it, and so there are certain type of things that you will do in stand-up which are an argument. This, therefore, this, therefore, this, therefore, this, therefore, yeah. this, and the audience are, are, will follow it quite naturally. But I think that only works retrospectively. You can't, you <laughs> can't write the thing. I mean, you don't go out. Oh, I think it's time for. I think it's time for a rule of three now. Yeah. Uh, I don't think you can do. That. I think what it goes under, of course, is that it goes under that shaping by evolution process of doing it over and over and over yeah. again. It's which maybe, yeah, which, which may be the <laughs> one thing within scripted comedy and stand-up comedy, which is the one huge difference that our stuff. We perform it, perform it, perform it, yeah. perform it, and it have, like I like I'm 115 dates into a tour as we're doing this, wow. so it's constantly changing and adding and little slight little moments being put into it. Only in the last week, there's a joke in the current show about VR, where somebody takes off uh, yes. the VR mask and a scene is unfolding in front of them. I used to go straight from that to the other people in the room, yeah. But now it is you take off the mask and you do their face realizing it yeah. before you tell people what it is. That's another laugh. And oh, I've brilliant. only just noticed that. There's times I've pushed an audience away in order to get them to gel, um, which is you've gone into an, onto a quiet night yeah. and then I've decided to abuse the audience uh, <laughs> and tell them what a terrible audience they are uh, <laughs> as an effort to at least pull them together in going, oh, I'm unhappy with the fact that he doesn't like us. At least get one unified emotion into the room. Wow. And then take from there and I can get them back in again. Really? Yeah. And that works. It works. Because, it? again, it's just breaking the tension. There is, And sometimes there is no tension there. And all these is a thing, is a, is, a, is a living entity in itself. It, yeah. is, an, it is an organism. Right? Yeah. yeah. And you very quickly, when you want to become a stand-up, I found this in college, I, I started doing debating in college and telling jokes in front of crowds, like whatever. And uh, over the course of that, I, my view of a group, a collection of people, 
change from it just being a collection of people who are sitting quietly waiting for their lectures to start to mm. I walk past lecture theatres and go oh I could get a rush off them I could <laughs> that's a crowd wow. there I could go in and, and yeah, the uh, so you begin to think of them as one organism right but sometimes you walk out and they just haven't they just haven't been that they haven't become that they yeah. haven't yeah and you're your own warm up like whatever and so sometimes the laugh you get from an audience is always a breaking of tension anyway sometimes the tension to break is you berating them they, uh, I did the Just for Laughs in Montreal um, once and Joan Rivers was um, was emceeing it. And Joan Rivers came out, she did a few, few jokes, all going fine. And then she, she had this weird kind of thing, she had a dress over her dress with this kind of like white splodgy pattern on it because she's doing a Monica Lewinsky joke. Uh, right. And ah. she said, and look, oh, my, I borrowed this dress off my friend Monica, Monica Lewinsky, whatever. And it didn't get anything. And I'm at the wings watching this going, oh, that didn't really go well. And Joan Rivers launched into a rant at the audience going, how dare you not laugh? This, this, I ruined a perfectly good Donna Coran. <laughs> and I don't mean DKNY for you people in the cheap seats. A Donna Coran dress for the purpose of that. And you have the, you have the cheek to come in here and not laugh. And she punches them up into the sky, boom, bam, 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 pams them up like whatever, and then and then drops them. And I, there wasn't even specific words in it, but she just bang, 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 and she let them go, and they a massive round of applause. Wow, uh, yeah, that's and it was incredible. just pure energy. That's all it was. She just went, I'll put tension, 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 tension. But it's funny, like, but it was like still tension, 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 like milk and <laughs> they all went oh that release huge round of applause and then from there and then she's great what you're watching there is you're watching them watch someone do their scales this is what I can play on this instrument and at the end of it there's no way you're not going to feel I'm in safe hands here I suppose yeah yeah, yeah. It, it felt like listen I've been doing this for 40 years so yeah, <laughs> this is how this were and I'm not you know you've not been doing this for 40 years I've been doing it for you really have to up your game this is a phrase you often say to the <laughs> audience when you actually go, you're going to have to get better this lads I have not come here now to work with this <laughs> like whatever and it, 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 it honestly it, it draws an audience together like whatever you, you learn <laughs> the most important thing you learn weirdly is not to put up with a gig not doing well not to just plough through. Oh, right. Uh, and, like, I remember the the dying and late in life doing that midnight gig. I mean, yeah. A gig that went so badly that, God rest his soul, Hovis Presley. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, Hovis came up to me after and says, uh, do you do this for a living? <laughs> <laughs> and I actually stopped it. I remember going to him and, and I'd gone, and I was ploughing through it. And then I went, I, I remember stopping going, ah, uh, look, I'm, I'm, causing you more pain than you're causing me at this stage what do we say we just knock this on the head like whatever and I left with some dignity but I was, it was the problem was I, I kept going like, and, and I yeah. think there's a, when you're starting off you think oh god that joke didn't work let's try the next joke and, and then let's try the next joke and your mouth gets dry and you, and, and you start speeding up and you start end gaming all the jokes by rushing straight to the bit which is a funny bit because you're right. sure that's the bit that'll slowly spark it and actually no you have to stop and yeah, go. and what it shows is that you're not reading the room, doesn't yeah, it? If yeah, you don't absolutely. respond to the audience not having a good time, if you don't get down into the weeds with them and go, what, what have I done wrong? Then? Yeah, yeah, Come on, guys, what, you know. There was a night in the comedy store where um, we went uh, all out. Now, I remember Stuart Francis was on and, and, and a few others, and we just your standard Saturday night, early show, 8 o'clock in the comedy store, and we all went out and did our stuff. Great night, comedy store, it's a fabulous room. Hey, there's a group of five backpackers in the front row who were just beaming because this is their, like, their cultural thing. They come, <laughs> and this is amazing, it's exactly what they wanted ah oh, cheering like whatever and we're all delighted like whatever and then we went out for the 11 o'clock show five backpackers I loved the first show so much they came back in to watch uh, the second oh, no. show in that thing that people have that's like oh they just talk these people just come out and say they just talk oh, yeah, yeah. and everything is funny and it was actually I think the MC or the first act at, so they've gone through 10 minutes of the same stuff uh, and then the MC goes hang on are you you the people who were here earlier right and then the MC came in to us and said they're all just sitting in the front row they, the same five people with that kind of slightly more strained uh, oh, no. and the first person to go out didn't have time he just walked down and said oh and straight into his 20 minute club set to, to and they're slightly slumping and the rest of us then had to go oh what have we got what have we got <laughs> and oh, find another 20 minutes like whatever and some Shit. did and some didn't because <clears throat> uh, I'll tell you what coming to see your show recently the thing that I started to think about is that those hours are actually very carefully structured there's lots of stuff in there which is set up, paid off, called back, that sort of thing. Yeah. There is a shape to it. It's not just a series of smaller routines. And 
if you're having to reassemble a show or put together like the Moscow one that you're talking about, yeah. you're then having to take chunks of existing shows and try and bolt them together, or are you just sort of doing them in a line? I'd say the earliest it was more episodic and yeah. more kind of and, and less nested than the current show. The, yeah. uh, certainly in the last couple of shows, I've gone bigger for a structure that pays off and uh, and things loop around and yeah. come back in again. I speak of it like it's uh, it's an incredibly complex narrative. Story. Callbacks. Uh, it's, 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 a callback. it's a it's a Klein. <laughs> bottle of comedy. It, it, it's all, that's exactly what I'm looking for. It exists in four dimensions, but also in three, three space. Uh, and so, uh, so that is, that. the next time I get that from the general kind of interviewer going, eh, how do you size a comedy? I will do the, speak, think of a non-Romanian manifold uh, that exists in a, an n-dimensional plane, but its curvature is uh, negative. Uh, and, uh, and, and that's my show. You know, obviously that's my show. The, uh, you know, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like like a wormhole that goes from that joke to that joke. Yeah, uh, and uh, so the yeah, it is more difficult now, and you actually actively have to think about. It's sometimes quite liberating when you do the Apollo, for example, and just snip out the bits. The uh, yeah, it's going to be something yeah. quite nice. Oh, what we're talking about here, which I think is something that fascinates us, which is why this podcast exists, is the invisible craft of comedy. The, the, what yeah. you're watching when you're watching comedy, hopefully, is you're not watching three act structure or. You're you're not watching callbacks and things. You're watching someone talking or characters existing and you are just enjoying their, their motion and their movement. But it should look effortless. It should be exactly what those backpackers were expecting. It's just those guys chatting. It's a funny look, guy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think the, the person, the, the stand-up set you've brought in and the, the comedian that, you, that you've, you've nominated to talk about today is a perfect example of someone who appears to be making up on the fly, whose opening, has Joan Rivers opening, is not a zinger. Very often it's standing on stage and going, uh, yeah, as, as if he's just been found there. It looks so effortless, and the more you look at it, the more you realise it's not. Who have you brought in? Well, listen, let me give one brief context to this, which is that uh, years ago I did a documentary about Stephen Hawking, and we based it around the fact that I still had a copy of Brief History of Time that I was given as a Christmas present of 16, that yes. I, to various house moves, still had, and I was able to bring this artefact out, right? Yeah. When we'd already arranged to do this, I was, it, it was in, in the office, and I looked up on the shelf and realised that on the shelf of my office, there was still this, the actual VHS copy Ooh. that I was given, with a furry kind of, um, you know, frontage and all that, uh, of this. So this is clearly sufficiently important to me that this went to house moves as well wow. for the last 20 years. It's from 1996. It is Eddie Izzard and Definite Article. It's called, it's, they call it coming out of a book, and you've got to do it at some point in your life, haven't you? You've got to just fucking come out of a book. You know, surprise your neighbours. Hey, the fucking big book next door, yes. Andy Warhol said it. You've always got to come out of a book at some point, he said, and then he, poof, had a big hair. <laughs> It's the third big one. He, the first one... Line he, of the Ambassadors. Yeah, he's, he's buried that, uh, as far as I know. He Has he? Yeah, he's, uh, I know he's held onto the copyright of it. I don't think he's particularly... Really? I think that one is very, very difficult to get, which means that the one that most people have seen first is unrepeatable. Yeah. I think I've got it on VHS. Oh, do you? Okay. Because yeah. 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 we went. I think he looks, he's got nail polish on, but otherwise he's just in a, a, a schlubby suit. But that first one, it's a different guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Definite article is kind of him becoming Eddie, is it? Yeah, well, definitely, because there was the first thing I ever saw him do was uh, Le Sange dans l'Arbre. Oh, yes. yes. Did yeah. so. I saw him do He did yeah, that he, on he, Hysteria. He Hysteria. Montreal, Montreal yes. Dry, like, whatever. And I found a crackly version of it on YouTube last night. And the first one I was ever taught, and that was Le Sange dans l'Arbre. <laughs> the monkey is in the tree. And it's just really difficult to get that one into a conversation. You're going there and go, une chambre, oui, une chambre, ma, oui, merci, ok. And it is actually it's it's not fully formed. It's it's really uh, yeah, it's on it's, the it's way. Really because uh, he redid the routine again, I think, in Circle or, or one of those couple of oh, after right. this where he redid it partly because he he and this is so, so idiot. Le Sange dans l'Arbre is incorrect. It's a very clumsy translation. Uh, he, so he changed it to Le Sange a, a sur la branche. Uh, because don't, you're not in, like, in the tree. You're not in the tree. You're on the tree rather than. So the song, like, so Freddie were laughing along, but going, oh, that is really, that's a really bad <laughs> translation of it. Like whatever. So actually the phrase was wrong. So Eddie changed. But then he, he expanded it all out in a huge way. Yeah. But I remember dying laughing at Le Sange dans l'Arbre. We yeah. watched that. 
on a caravan holiday. The reason we went to Ambassadors is because of Le Sange et Don Labre. I remember yep. it. Yep. I went, should we go and see Le Sange et Don Labre guy? Yep. And that was yep. enough to get us to go buy tickets for an expensive West End show. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is kind of strange that that doesn't happen more often to a certain extent. There, there should be more routines that are, I mean, we, we talk about the, he's got the routine on this or such and such a yeah. routine on that, like whatever. The, and there's certain routines that if you look back, I look back over myself going, okay, the video game routine is probably one that came out. The, there's a couple of sciencey ones that could quote a lot in, in particular things, yeah. like whatever. The, yeah, there's certain things that, but like it's very difficult to get a single out and he got a couple <laughs> of singles out, yeah. like whatever. The Sons of Dollar was one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, you know, Darth Vader in the canteen yeah. uh, and uh, things that they they don't break through as often. Hence we're saying the character stuff, like yeah, yeah. yeah. You're mounted dead falling through the bar. But the Sanji Don Larb uh, which is just nice to say. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is pleasing. Espe- to especially nice to say in his voice. Yeah, well, if actually, you, if you got to be on your heels yeah. and deliver it like that. It's a pleasure. I There was a period where I had to beat the ideas out of myself. The, uh, <laughs> because when I started off, I had a much softer voice uh, and I go air a lot anyway. So I have a touch of that kind of like hanging noise thing, but not as pronounced as he does it or, or in the way that he uses it. <laughs> Oh, yes. Yeah, so. Uh... But I slipped into that idiom. When you're a baby stand up, you often pluck your yeah. what, the stuff you love, like whatever. Yeah. I remember Ed Burns' sister Trish going, Yeah, you went very, very eddy for a while. Because I thought this was before I'd even done stand up, but this is 1996. I'd already started doing gigs. Right. right. I sat and watched this. So it was exactly at a formative moment for me to suddenly go, It's a compelling sound. It is. It, it works. Uh, I suppose the nearest coming I have is the. Uh, that Jewish New York, um, Jackie yeah. Mason, Zoidberg, yeah. kind of, what, what, I'm telling you, that thing, which is just very Moorish and very difficult <laughs> yeah, not yeah, to do, yeah. like, what, what, uh, is very difficult not to because it's just perfect rhythm for comedy. And his... To eat a satsuma, it's piece of piss. You just go flump, and then flump, and flump. And if there's people in the room, you go, go on. It's like a very cheap round, isn't it? Go on. Satsuma, if you're that other person in the room, you go, no, no, all right, yeah. Yeah, so Satsuma is great. And you're right. He walks out at the start of this. It's it's a big dramatic. The, a big door opens. It's ludicrously staged. A huge for book. A huge book, and he st- he's walks out on a steps. throne coming out of yes, a book. Yes, he comes out of it on a throne, like whatever. And like, so you kind of have to go right. You're quite new, but like you're already doing ten weeks in. Yeah. Uh, this is in the Shaftesbury, like yeah. whatever, which is the equivalent of doing ten Wembleys like, yeah. at this age. So he was big at this age. But and then he comes down, and the first thing he says, like, ah, oh, so right, and. Resets the applause, I feel. Yeah. Yes. Into, and I think one of the things that he does is my universe. Yes. yes. Obviously, what he does with it, but he does in a, right, you, you've got to come here. Famously, he was a street performer for many years, but the, you can see that he just recalibrates the audience right at the very start. Come you know? down, lean it. I, I'm going to lean back, you're going to have to lean in. Yes, and you're going to have to lean in. We always define an audience in terms of how much you have to go to them and how much they come to you. Right, right. Uh, and the leaning back is you have to come to me. Uh, the paradox of if, if it was a really raucous audience, do you go louder or do you go quieter? Right. And there's always a sign of complete confidence if you go quiet and the audience then have to shush to hear you. It's not a given that that will always work. There's a gig at the end of the, of the last festival in Kilkenny. It's a weekend festival, and there's a gig on the, on the Monday night. So the punters have all left, and this is a gig basically for the people of Kilkenny who've been working in bars and nightclubs right. and restaurants and, and servicing this entire thing. Hmm. And they put on one shrine show at the end where we all do like five minutes. I remember being once being it, and it was being it was really rocking. Six hundred people in a bar one in the morning, and so we're all trying to shout and anger. I'm going to do my best up, best up, best up, best up. Bang, 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 bang. Tommy Tiernan goes yeah. out and just stood at the mic and then started singing Hallelujah by uh, Leonard Cohen. Cohen. <laughs> and quietly, they say, and the whole room went quiet. After two hours of shouting, the whole room went quiet. They all quietly sang three verses of Hallelujah with Tommy. And then when they were quiet, Tommy started his routine. Wow. And there's just times you go, I give up. This is ridiculous. <laughs> that's, that is too, you, that's a game we can't even see. That is, that is, that's the four-dimensional chess. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. in South London and it sells two very disparate items. One side is guns and knives and harpoons. On the other side there's banjos and violins <laughs> and bassoons. Someone browsing around a noisy machine gun slice a man in two, 200 rounds a minute or a banjo. Bang, bang, bang. This is the West End audience who've come to see him but yeah. nonetheless a step back. Uh, whatever. And he's like, his first word, I forgot what's the first word, but it's something ridiculous like, uh, I, I was comparing this to, when I first saw him, I thought what was amazing is he used this very gentle, very relaxed, addictively relaxed energy yeah. to do stuff that was actually uh, very similar in content to a good, sharp American stand-up. It was about religion, uh, mainland bombing campaigns. It was quite political about sort of not believing in what you were told. It was kind of Bill Hicksy sort of, right. I've seen the world, this is how it works. It isn't religion mad. Here's some stuff about Catholicism and church schools. And, and here he is two years, two or three years later doing the same technique. But his opening word is thimbles. Thimbles! It's thimbles! And it's to go, you're going to do a routine about thimbles. And it's the most confident thing is he's not going to come out and say, I've had a big thought about the world. He went, let's talk about thimbles for a bit. <laughs> So we're here, uh, yes, uh, this is the video, very, very special video um, uh, of all the incredibly funny things in, uh, in, in, in my brain, I suppose. Yeah. But thimbles is what I really want to talk about, because... Um... And he's realised that the tone of voice is so addictive that it doesn't matter what he's talking about, he can still take a load of shit and turn it to gold. Yeah. I will start with the most unpromising, smallest thing. But weirdly, the word thimbles is not only funny, but it says small, quiet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. so confident. And I wonder whether there was something in this, in, in the development of a stand-up voice that had become very influential in that a lot of stand-ups who now do huge rooms don't do personal or political stuff. They do Peter Kay's yeah, has anyone yeah. been to a wedding yeah. there's a bit of Michael McIntyre and a bit of Peter Kay in this in saying I've got such a good delivery I can put almost nothing in it isn't breathing good. it's kind yeah, yeah, of at yeah, that yeah. level of a whole room will come together and agree you might lose half the room on a Donald Trump routine but thimbles no one can disagree with it's like a Michael McIntyre's we've all got a draw kind of routine yeah, yeah. where you go this can unite a huge room in a way that some stand up maybe from earlier would have said which tiny tribe are you from are you from yeah, the yeah. north or whatever it's so non-tribal but did it you feels not have really the, exciting did you not have the reaction that I did to that which is when he, he comes out and he just does a tiny preamble and says but what I, what I really want to talk about is thimbles my my brain went I had to just process it for a beat and go <laughs> fuck I'm going to have to run to keep up with you aren't I, I really am yeah. I don't know it's, it's a bit frightening it does I mean it is I mean there is a, a thing that the, the trust me I'm a comic 
jokes, which <laughs> are, you often start a show with, especially right. where mm. you come out and you go, here's four quick laughs, that's so you can all relax now. That's, I can do this. Yeah, I yeah. can do this, okay? You often put them at the start, like whatever. You pray in, the, in the process by which you write a show, which is basically you throw stuff at a wall and then you rearrange <laughs> it into a shape. The, uh, yeah. You hope that you have, you have, you have a, an applause at the end of the first half, applause at the end of the second half, bigger one for the encore, and then maybe some at the start. And then you've got, the, you've got some framework there that you can come out with a thing. Right, okay. But to come out and then really the, the first things aren't, I'm right in the middle of this. We're in the middle of this now. Uh, yeah. yeah, and yeah. that's nicely unmooring uh, because <laughs> you're going oh oh wow and and like because it's not the one thing about it we you, we talk about structured shows and like I would write thing that has very much progression and it goes from thing to thing to thing and I and I work I work on the joins between things yeah. so it feels like it flows uh, from base to base. There he does new joins. He no. just no. does that, and it's I, I this is I suppose probably what people always compared with with Monty Python or whatever. It just stops the thing and and goes the next thing. Yeah. They, uh, John Cleese said he was, uh, in a way, sort of an extra Python, the, the missing Python. And I thought, well, the, the, a lot of the techniques aren't really Pythonic, but the, the disjointedness, the feeling that he is starting down a, uh, an alleyway, and then if he gets bored with it, very often two or three words in, that he'll stop. There, there is that feeling of, we don't know whether this is a profitable avenue or not, which is kind of weird to watch with someone who's got a prepared show. Yeah. That I think he's got some of those dead ends written in. So yeah. It's an hour and 48 minutes yeah. long, which is which is at the upper end of how long yeah. these things ever got. Yeah. And there's a lot of it in which he went, oh, you'd probably take that out. And you go, yeah, you actually would take that out. Right. You probably would just snip here and there. And certainly for a while, it seems to jump around a bit before settling into a thing that he really likes. Yeah. But it does draw you a dizzy. And his whole thing was this unit, because it is observational, but it's yep. uh, it surreal observation. Like, and also there's a cast of characters, which is the other thing that he sets up. Mrs. Bad Crumble. And Bad Crumble appears, I think, it's for the first time in this one. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's a music no, teacher, Mrs. Bad, Bad Crumble. Crumble uh, with the, uh, James Mason. James Mason. James Mason. Makes his appearance or whatever, and various things, who then he brings back in again. In a way that feels richer than just a callback. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it does feel like there is a universe yeah. where elephants are skiing over a, a chalet, but Mrs. Balcombe is teaching the clarinet from a previous routine in yeah. that chalet. Yeah. Uh, and the guy with the gun keeps going back to his clarinet lessons as he boom, as he hears elephants skiing over his roof. It is, uh, again, it's, it's because I've, I've seen him return to those characters again in other ways. I mean, he, like Mrs. Balcombe appears in, in other DVDs. Uh, James Mason certainly appears. The uh, And, uh, you know, Darth Vader in the canteen. He's yeah. He returned to that a few times. I actually saw the Darth Vader in the uh, canteen uh, routine, not on this show, so obviously it's, it's in a much later show, the, uh, and uh, saw it in the RGS in Dublin, went to see the show, and it was, mm. always, and it was a bit that killed me, absolutely killed me <laughs> and a, that nice feeling you get just where you just lose it where yeah, you just yeah, fit yeah. it's, it's a lovely thing there, where it becomes just instinctive it's not about an idea and a, mm, how smart that idea is yeah. or whatever, but like it's a very defined thing which is just musical in the sense that it's just intuitively I'm, I'm just rolling with this now, yeah, yeah. but there must have been a Death Star canteen yeah there must have been a, a cafeteria downstairs in between battles where Darth Vader could just chill and go down. I will have the penne a la arrabbiata. <laughs> you'll need a tray. I can kill you with a single thought. Well, you'll still need a tray. I remember seeing that. And there was a line in that then that I saw him do the routine again in Melbourne. So this must have been 2000 I saw him. And then 2001, I met him in Melbourne. I was the first time I'd ever met him. And I was properly like, oh, I may also stand up. Uh, and like really awful thing. And I said to him, you didn't, there was a line in it that you, you, lo- you dropped. Um, and it was about Darth Vader has a grill yeah. uh, on the front of his and they take and he says no that, that's an egg slicer uh, and that's, <laughs> that's what that is she takes the grill off and slices an egg with it uh, and he had a line in which, you go, in which Vader goes but the man in the garage said uh, and I just loved that line I think it was just every person who's not technically comfortable being taken for a ride by somebody uh, but the man in the in the garage said like, and I and I said you didn't have any he said yeah it kind of wasn't working uh, so it dumped it like whatever and it was oh it was like my absolute fate it was the one that killed me was like oh no I love that bit 
effect did, did uh, this is while you're starting and stuff? Oh, yeah, so did, like did this change what you thought was yes, possible? Absolutely, yeah, hugely, because it was it, it was it was so innately funny, it kind of raised the bar for lots of things, like whatever. And we were saying the Irish Times Circuit was it was great fun to come to it as a generation, uh, and there was uh, it, it was a tremendously you know it was me and and Tommy and Colin Murphy and uh, Jason Byrne and uh, so we were just all doing our first gigs at the same time. Mm. Literally, there was a night in the comedy store where it was me and Jason Byrne's first ever gigs in the Comedy Cellar in Dublin wow. uh, and a visiting comic Andrew Maxwell was there because <laughs> uh, he was back from London where he was doing some television we are like oh my god that's Andrew Maxwell uh, and, uh, but we were all kind of coming up and then this appeared uh, this glorious um, just yeah it was it was like oh this is you can be Lucy you can be conversation you can be you can be fluid you can they'll, they'll come with you you can throw two ideas together um, and you can pause an M and A on stage um, and the noises are the funny thing and it's the thing that I've always felt like whatever the, the jokes are just bullets you're the gun you're the funny wow. thing but the jokes are just a tool by which you show you're funny yeah. but you're you're the funny thing uh, and so that's a huge part of what he yeah you're going yeah like he's just funny and like it's, it's people say they go, oh he could do anything and obviously he's not just doing anything but he is funny like whatever so what yes. he's doing is slightly less important than than just their presence on stage he's, he's, he's occupying something in this which I, I, I'm going to ask you because I don't know how he's doing this I don't know quite what he's doing you may have a better idea but there's something in again if you compare him to early videos and I was remembering that ambassador show where he's just in a suit he's got nail varnish on but he's not he's not making a silhouette yeah he's not occupying a shape but you watch definite article and you've shone a, a light on him and he projected himself on the wall you'd know that was Eddie Izzard yeah the pose the crouch he's in this constant bouncing crouch the heels are helping oh there's they're a lot of movement into, there's a ton of movement he doesn't stop moving yeah. he's constantly in motion and they're, they're funny there's a bubbling kind of up and down movement that, that suits the words it's Every bit of him is dedicated to getting these words to you and telling you who he is. Yes, absolutely. And uh, there is a, it's a hideous American term, the act out, yeah. uh, where you give the idea and stand up. You say, hey, it's yeah. a bit like this. And then you act it out. Yeah. And yeah. you get a second laugh on the act yeah. out. Yeah. And it, it kind of feels cynical when you say it like that. It feels like a course taught way of doing it rather than an instinctive yeah. thing. Uh, the routine about there's a line of murderers. Oh, God. Yeah. And, oh, and he you're does, at the all night garage and behind you the queues all murderers. Queues all murderers. And he just does, and each of them is different. Yes. in a similar but yes. different way and he does 15 of them 3am in the morning and you're getting this for, and there's a queue forming behind you no it's brown bread brown bread man yeah a queue of murderers <laughs> with different weapons you know they're grinning, they're making faces, like whatever, and it goes on all the way across the stage. I saw him do a thing on the Live of the Apollo recently. He's skittering around the stage and he's on the back foot and then he does the dressage pony where really they're training them to do burglary and there was just a point where the dressage pony breaks into the house and it's just one leg lifting over a wall then the other leg lifting over a wall and that got a round of applause because it was so beautifully done and it is a concept that you you want movement in the show but it's stand-up is often you're behind a mic and you could do the like when you preview a stand-up tour you often do it with just leave you don't have you don't do the full kind of face mic type thing or whatever yeah. so you're behind an SM58 on a stand like your standard microphone on yeah. the stand like whatever and you're holding the stand it's kind of fun to be back in the club so you're just standing behind a mic <laughs> yeah. shouting these ideas at people but then you got to go back into showbiz and do the, the, the bigger show and you've got to put the movement into it and I uh, there's a parent in my school of a kid in my, in my son's class who teaches movement to opera singers right? because she goes they come into the shows wow. and they, they sing but they, they, they've had no reason to learn how to move because their entire career has been standing still next to a piano belting out a rigoletto or something <laughs> yeah. like, whatever, like that and it'd be weird if they sort of circling the piano like the <laughs> so it, yeah just kind of just in the middle of it all doing a robot in the middle of La Traviata like whatever so they've never done that and she said well you have to teach them how to just enjoy the physicality of it and she's going it's very weird to watch you because clearly this is the thing that you've deliberately evolved how you move on stage and you do as a stand-up develop a way of moving just to expand it out and the two things I say it's like I watched you two play Wembley a couple of years ago 
and the angle at which they I stood. I thought you meant us two. Yeah. No, no, no. no, no I was no, trying to no. remember when we'd done that. Yeah, I, I mean, was it, quite it was drunk. good, but I was, I was on the road at the time, so I missed those gigs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're still spoken of in, in legend. I watch Irish rock combo, you two, uh, play Wembley. And that cleared that up. In the midst, yes, in the midst of, which is a very enjoyable gig, particularly if you're Irish, I was watching them and the way they stood. Yeah. And the angle at which they stood was the correct angle for standing in the stadium. Uh, ah, yeah. Uh, because uh, I find as you play bigger rooms, you just tilt, you naturally yes. tilt back. You, you end up in the Conservative yeah. Party Conference power stance. It's, it's a form of that, uh, but le- it's, but they again end game that they told them to go straight to that. They haven't earned it by doing the journey yeah, yes. to it. They, uh, yeah. So, but it is the thing that you just you you know to expand your arms out. You know yeah. to and you just do that by doing it hundreds of times. And realize, oh, this works better if I just just expand a bit in what and the way yeah. I stand, like whatever. And watching them who playing, they must have been a million stadiums over the course of their career. It's the way they stood was just was just tilted exactly at the midpoint, the gravity point of that of that whole huge you're room. Visually representing what the art is that you're giving yes. out. So Eddie Izzard's bobbing sort of naughty, puckish crouch suits who he is. So he's, he's jumping from subject to subject and yeah, moving around. bobbing around. And whereas, whereas you hold the microphone stand with the mic in it and you slyly look over it, that is much more of a combative club kind of stance where you're going, yeah, you're pointing down at people from behind this uh, elevated Has position. anyone ever done the Lemmy stroke Liam Gallagher stand-up where you're staring at the sky with a microphone above? <laughs> that would be awful. Who would you be? I would love to see. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you're just shouting that. Yeah, that'd be. Ma- I'm not sure if that would connect. I'm not sure if that. <laughs> it's would. Very good for the people in the circle. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So fuck pears, but pears, pears are really, just, you know, like a rock. So you think I'll take them home and they'll ripen up. But you put them in a bowl at home and they sit there going, no, no, don't ripen yet, don't ripen yet. Wait till he goes out of the room. Ripen now, now, now. You come back in, you go, I'll just have one of the... <laughs> hey, these pears are dead. So what's he doing then? Because the first thing you arrive at as a conclusion with this is you go, it's whimsy. Yeah. And then I thought, well, he, yeah, but it, it's actually observation, but via the back door. He kind of does... I was looking at the front, the very front of the show where he does that routine about horses' hooves. Yeah. And, and I thought, yeah, in the hands of someone who didn't have Eddie Izzard's mind... You could reduce that to a really simple one-liner. Yeah. They don't need shoes. They've got great, big, thick, bony... You know, you could yeah, do that. Yeah. Very simple, and you'd probably get a laugh from that. But he does it back to front. And with so many lovely little variations, like the bit about, um, because horseshoes are lucky, they're wearing four bits of lucky, you know, and things yeah. like that. And you go, this is, you've taken a straight observation and then just spun it round and round. There's a gag he does about oranges. We did the same observation in a, a news parody programme recently, which is, oranges are really annoying. They're the most annoying fruit. No one really likes oranges. And he does the thing. But his one, he goes, there's Jürgen Prochnow inside the orange saying, none shall get in. It's like a submarine. You mustn't <laughs> breach the hull. And you're thinking, the moment... He's really good at when he sort of says something like, aren't oranges fiddly, to go, right, okay, what I'll do is I'll be the orange, or who's inside the yeah, orange. It does, yeah, yeah, yeah. does an impression of a pear rotting, doesn't it, yes. at one point? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's a great, you know, the, he's, uh, I mean, I've even seen him do, sometimes the shower is hot and sometimes the shower is cold because there's a tiny thing that goes from hot to cold. But he's done it in a way which is, again, he does very, very well, physically extremely well, yeah. or whatever. And it's like, a, yeah, you're right. These could be, this could be a 20-minute set. Yeah, uh, uh, well, what's what's up with the sound of Latin, like whatever? But instead, it's yes. like a domo, it's a winner, uh, and it's drawn out, and then it's reincorporated in, and they're all pokey pokey sticks, uh, yep. uh, and <laughs> twang them into a tree. Uh, so now I'm just <laughs> I'm just doing moments from the thing, like whatever. The uh, but you're right, they are observations, they're accurate observations. The probably the parallel now I draw would be Acaster is probably one that you can yeah. say James Acaster is. Like it is observational, but it's coming from a totally different direction to where Michael is doing. And yeah, like, yeah. I'm not, like, well, I mean, I'm not, yeah, not going to rag on Michael. Like, Michael's very good at what he does. Michael McIntyre is extremely mm. good at what he does, like whatever, and finding that thing. And, and he, I think he's borrowed a lot from this. The, the bobbing energy. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. I absolutely. was surprised how much I saw. This is how you play a big room. And I think that this has gone into a lot of stand up. says how you play and unify a big room with come into my world and your world you then work out which degree of absurdity you've got in your world it may be solidly observational or it may be whimsical but you're using the same techniques 
Yeah, it does. It feels like it's very much a jumping point. And when you are in your heads and the writing things, you do find yourself scribbling down just things like the uh, in, <laughs> and, and just like I put down. I remember putting, scribbling down a note of um, bit biting the inside of my own mouth. Yeah, uh, and, I, and it sat in a in a file somewhere for ages, and then became the third point in reasons we have not been created in the image of God. Uh, and it was reason two: we bite the insides of our own. Who? Why? Why would God create? Yeah, and it was you was banked somewhere. Banked as a yeah. off, that's, that might, could that be? That's an interesting thing. But you stuck it in a pile again. Second time I met Eddie, so I can map out my life in times of met Eddie. Uh, it was at uh, Best of the Fest in Edinburgh, and I had a joke about um, fox hunting. And how ridiculous fox hunting was because they quite get dressed up for it. Like, this is functioning why <laughs> people in towns don't put on a tuxedo uh, to lay down a mousetrap or whatever. And it's some sort of thing, like, whatever. And I had a, it was slightly better than that, I'd like to say. But it was like, a, it's a line, like, whatever. And there you go. And he, I think, said, I said, oh, this, you, oh, you, oh, you could do much more with that, like, whatever. And I said, I had this kind of depressing sense that if he had done it, He'd have had the whole thing, you know. He'd have, yeah. and they, you know, yeah. and they're in the town, like whatever, and they're chasing, yeah, you know. The, I, that, is that the, what you're watching here? I, it's now occurring to me that the, the joy of this is that I kept looking at it thinking that observation's pretty basic. Yeah. As in, you'll start off with something, which again, well, a basic observation, there's nothing wrong with the basic observation because it unites a room. If you sort of say, oh, the, the queue that you're not in at the supermarket always goes faster. That's a pretty basic. Yeah. I, yeah. I've heard that a million times yeah. from people. They even use it in the young ones as a throwaway gag. We're, we're all very good at queue strategy now. Have you noticed? No one taught us this. We just go, we're going, okay, four, four looks pretty good. <laughs> Seven. No, no, quite a few people. All hand baskets. Hand baskets. They're good. <laughs> It'll move fast. 17's just open up. You take the French bread. You go on 17. I'm on four. <laughs> keep in touch. Keep in touch. I've heard that thing, but what he'll do, it the, the routines that have got into this show are the ones where he started with an observation that everyone goes, ah, and then before you notice he's ridden off onto the sunset on it, he's taken you for a five-minute riff on that. And it seems to me that they're quick observations that the ones he can spin more out of make it into this set. The joy is not sometimes the original idea, but it's where he goes with it. Absolutely. I think that's, I think, and that's a very important thing you can do in stand-up, which is very much more difficult to do in, much, in other types of comedy, particularly on the style of comedy where you're writing for a show, like a, yeah. like a, a topical news show, for example, yeah. let's yeah. a random example, where producers will give you a list of these are the topics on which we would like your jokes. At that point, do your, and for some, it was like Jade Goody was always, when I was coming through anything, whatever, <laughs> that, it was that kind of like character. And yeah. if you could do your joke about that, or you could do your joke about Brexit now, or you could do your, you do your joke about David Davis there. Like, yeah. you're going, I, I, like, this isn't a, you know, this sausage is the dullest form, it's a sausage machine kind of thing that I'm throwing out, like whatever. The, we we suggested it, once there should be a website or an app were for, for working uh, writers where you type in drunk and it tells you who's this week's drunk and it used to be George Best and for a while it was Pete Doherty and maybe you've not been following the news and it's turned out that someone else has got an alcohol who's the fat person this week yeah. and it would just tell you who's it, who's gone bankrupt and it would keep you constantly up to date with who people are going to get when you say money is is it Gary Barlow or is it Ken Dodd this week yeah yeah, yeah. and it, it's when you're working in that field you sometimes feel so formulaic whereas actually the joy of what you do with a joke very often isn't the jumping off point it's where you take it we did the um there were monologue you see a monologue at the start of mock the week uh, yeah and then i push for it to go because it was it was that it was yeah. like uh, that's your meat and potatoes Sherry Blair is, is, yeah. is unattractive and such and such is this and such and such is that and Mark was, Thatcher gets lost yes. remember those ones oh <laughs> uh, and it was uh, it was the same stuff coming up and up and up again like whatever and it was just really it's dangerous throughout the moment because it, back in the day you could probably get away with it now Twitter will have done those jokes first yes yeah yeah absolutely uh, whereas when you're writing a show what isn't important is the initial is, isn't the jumping off point it's if that's the one and if you give me 40 topics it's mm. random when I'll go oh this is I could I, oh I, I see a thing there I see something yeah. you can do more with there and I could do an act out of a thing there and that could turn into something else like whatever and so if you look back at your own shows the routines that became long and uh, could didn't necessarily start from anything that was necessary to do. An entire routine of the film 2012 that involved telling people about the film 2012. <laughs> <laughs> no plot, no plot. Just John Cusack running away from lava for two and a half hours. And always just slightly ahead of the lava. Oh God, lava, oh Jesus, lava, quick, get into the car. He drove off, the lava sped up. Then he gets into a plane, the lava accelerates again. After about an hour and a half of this brinksmanship, you're going, Jesus, John, I'm spotting a pattern here, right? Why don't you hold still for a minute and see what the lava does then? Will it come up to you and go, 
Oh Jesus, he's called our bluff quick. Get back down the hole. We got nothing, we got nothing, we got nothing. He's called. But then ends with me in giant sleeves and maracas uh, on stage on the night with Jimmy Mystery from Strictly Come Down, the two of us both. Him recreating a scene he did in 2012 and we all strip off our clothes and we're dancing in maracas. Like whatever. The, I saw uh, not, not very good film recently. The uh, yeah. isn't, in, you know, and it could be, oh, that's a bit mad. But it's not. It's the. It's just you don't know the ones that are going to pique your interest that, that are going to fire a neuron yeah. uh, and that's mm. going to be the thing that's going to go like whatever and we have the luxury of doing it because we've got a six month re- writing period yeah. we put together a show where you're throwing stuff and you're literally going oh, that's, mm, that's a thing that's a thing. and someday your brain will put two and two together and that'll become 10 minutes it, for a really good stand-up tour Six Good Ideas really? six, six Good Ideas is, is a classic show um, <laughs> three or four good ideas is a pretty solid show Wow. And that's two hours, like the uh, and because like, there'll be other stuff in the round it, like whatever. But they will be the signature bits of it. My favorite uh, of all the ones I've ever done really had, yeah, it had, it had six clear ideas. But that's incredible. Eddie Izzard, I suppose, is is, an, is a pioneer in saying because the joy of what uh, what you're watching is the process of turning this base metal into gold. Yes, that you watch it, and, and he's an enormously hopeful figure to look at, and a very very high bar to hit because that magic is in his throat and in his brain. Yeah, there is an element to which that uh, when you write um, a stand-up show, you write a one-person sitcom in which you are the person in the, in the comedy <laughs> show where you hopefully have your character already. Was it on this show somebody said, somebody said the way if you know if a stand-up has become where they are is if you should know how they react when they've fallen in a swimming pool. Have you heard that? <laughs> no. No, yeah. That you you know should, that. If, if, yeah, that all stand-up, if stand-up is, is actually any good, if their, if their stage persona is any good, you should know exactly how they'll react if they fell in a swimming pool. <laughs> And I don't know if the test generally for that somebody came up for comedy characters like whatever that you should that you should know what their stance is either the panic person or the whatever yeah. the, but that you should know who you are and then you should put yeah. you in different situations and you should react to those different situations and obviously he's not doing him as much but he's doing his spin on things but it is I know who I am uh, yeah. and and this is how I think about these things. Well, it's an interesting calibration between um, whimsy and surreality. Yes. Yeah, mm. and he stays on the whimsy side of it already. Or whatever. I find myself watching surreal things going, how do you know that that's right? How do you know yeah. that's the right one to do? Like whatever. Yeah, he definitely stays on the whimsy side of it because it would be jarring yeah. if suddenly there's a fish on a bicycle. Because he acts out and he, he takes the idea for a walk, by the end of the whimsy, it's not just a juxtaposition. It's not just sticking a hat on a on a buffalo. Yeah, he's shown you the buffalo buying a hat, and you go, "Oh yeah." Yes, but but the buffalo is behaving in a Bexilancy manner. Yeah, the buffalo talking in a normal It's a buffalo that exists in this universe. That he does where buffaloes interact with hats. Yeah, uh, in a perfectly reasonable he's holding way. A, a solid world together. Which while, is, while yeah. we're on buffaloes or buffaloe, I'm not sure what the plural will be. Do we all remember cows? His sitcom. Yeah, I don't. I never saw it. I remember the whole thing about cows being where they're finally giving him a chance yes. to make the thing. Yes. What it a was, glorious era that was where that could happen. Would that would happen? <laughs> Who would do that now? Really, I was about to say, what a terrible idea. I went, oh, God. Wouldn't it be lovely if accidentally people made things like cows? Because one of those cows might work. One of those cows pilots. It's it's though it didn't work. Um, it's it, <laughs> it's it, it is very isard, isn't it? I mean, we're talking about the show where we've got the mouse version of the Italian job. Yeah. You know, so you sort of go, well, yeah, of course, a sitcom full of people dressed as cows. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, of course that would happen. Why wouldn't that happen? And the answer is, have a look at it. Some ideas work best in an ephemeral context, yes. where you do the imagining of yep. them. Uh, and I think if you physically make yeah. them then it becomes leaden. That's, you, you that's, that's crucial. That's absolutely crucial, yeah. I think. It's like reading a book rather than seeing the, the film adaptation of that book. So it's exactly how I imagined it. And again, you're talking about how far an audience has to come to you with a big, whimsical, stupid idea. If the audience has made half the ideas up in their head, they're more with you yeah. than if you're just presenting it flatly to them. Yeah. And he goes further than that, doesn't he? He sort of gives you the impression that you are watching the ideas evolve in his mind as he is saying. <laughs> Live. Yeah, yeah. And he even does, there's a great bit in this show where he pretends that he's forgotten the rest of the show. Good <laughs> 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 intro. You went, oh, it's been a very wide reaction on that last-ish thing. We'll cut this. Uh, <laughs> no, they're going to leave it in. You know, when, if you notice that, when people say, oh, we'll cut this, and it's always left in there. <gasps> anyway. Um... <laughs> Oh, 
I've forgotten the rest of the show. Um, how's it going? <laughs> to be fair, sometimes you do. Uh, for, there's just a moment where, in in my jacket on every night, I have part one and the running order for part one in the pocket, and at half time I take it out and I put part two in. Uh, and I've done really? that for the last six, nine years. Once uh, this year, there was a bit, I was actually going into a Brexit, the Brexit bit. Um, yeah, because I hadn't done it in six weeks. No. But he's in the middle of a Western run, so he clearly, <laughs> it's like prayers at school. You fall out of bed, you can kind of do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But th- th- he still had that thing that, because it, he does no audience chat. He's no. not taking any ideas in. Which is all the point of audience. Everyone presumed audience chat is you. I'm going to pick on you, and and it's not. It's just give me a ra- give me a random thing so I can be random for a while, uh, and I can show that skill maybe. But like also, I can put in things. I can invest a show with something which is definitely of this night and this night alone. Yeah. So that's the reason you go to the audience, which is I don't yeah. really care if you're an accountant or blah blah. I'm looking for some other detail that will inform the night and make it yeah. unique, right? The, uh, but he doesn't do that. He does all the well. This is all just happening now kind of stuff without the obvious thing of going right well you said this earlier and now I'm going to try to weave that back in again so it's interesting because obviously some of it is he may just be constantly poking at it and changing it and adding little bits to it as it goes along like what do you think what would your guess be I would imagine he's fecund enough that any time he does that, he may be... Other things are popping into his head. and But he makes it obvious to you that this is a, a thing that's happening. But it's a conversational style anyway. So where that line yeah, is drawn, yeah, where it isn't. True, I mean, people true. are dreadfully, amazingly, hilariously bad at spotting where it's a routine and where it's you talking. It's, it's honestly the whole thing, this whole castle, this whole um, house of cards, this castle of sand, <laughs> is built on the fact that people often don't see the difference between you talking to somebody and you going into routine. Because sometimes you will segue from an audience, oh, it's funny, and then you went into a thing. And I've had people in reviews go, well, it seems to be all just talking to an audience. And you're going, you know, that was like 10 minutes. And then everything <laughs> after that was, was a show. That happens every night. Like, wow. whatever. But people are surpri- amazing. And look, it's par- it speaks to that kind of thing of, I want to think that this is just happening. Yeah. Even if this makes me unhappy because I'd like to think you actually had a show, but you actually have to show yeah. people that there's definitely <laughs> a show. The audience has to be between those who like the raw energy of this is just happening right now versus those who've paid money and got a babysitter and had an evening out, like whatever, and would like to think you've actually put something together. How do you introduce an energy like that without going to the audience, which is what Ideas Art does? I, 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 I don't know how you do it. I, I need the prop of there's going to be a bit of the show which has to be different. And I have to be on my game when I, because I write I write a bit into the show where I pointedly I pull a stool out and plonk it in front of the audience <laughs> and go, this is now going to happen here. And the conjuring act has to occur right now. The, yeah. uh, and and the only thing is, is actually, sometimes actually I'm getting a little over some of it now in, in personally because there's a lot of IT and a lot of accountants and a lot of standard accounting. <laughs> is the, is the collapse of the actual job sector the, ruining the, manuf- the manufacturing sector, the end of the manufacturing sector. People making things would have been wonderful. Is anyone here from Trumpton? Does anyone have a job <laughs> yeah. that has a uniform, a hat and a song? Honestly, <laughs> uh, in terms of audience chat, it's jobs that appeared in a Richard Scarry book. Yeah. That the audience all have, oh, 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 you're a fireman. Oh, you're you make candles whatever they, yeah, they, they all have a reaction to are the best things and other than that you're looking for some weird biographical detail and it's kind of often tough to drag it out of people uh, in a conversation like what it's always worth going back for one more question but see this is again he doesn't do that he's not doing that at any stage and he's never done that in no. any of his shows yeah, but gives the impression of it being a rambling it's in the air in the uh, it's all in the noises uh, but I think, I think he is looking for stuff but like, I don't think it, obviously it's not going to change that much it's not like Ross Noble has an interesting thing as well that people presume it's all off the cuff and Ross obviously writes a show Ross writes yeah. great comedy ideas and draws them out and does routines but people presume it's all oh he just makes it all up yeah if you uh, the, the stuff that you get away with during the what's, if it's clearly audience chat the tension in the room is completely different to the rest mm. of it uh, and so you get rewarded the risk versus the reward the risk goes up and the reward goes up you get a higher reward for actually slightly less funny things yeah uh, coming out of it but also, it, it, again a lot of it is the not dead behind the eyes like when you're touring and touring and touring and touring and touring it's a, how do I keep this fresh how do I keep my own energy levels up uh, and I think you have to be looking within the stuff for new things is it routine then that actually you can become tired of doing the same show I think you're too there's too direct an investment in their reaction I always use the comparison of the mousetrap yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, as a thing like whatever that that's not what I would want to be doing like whatever and I've never seen the mousetrap I'm sure Eddie is our first piece of material at the live at Ambassadors because he's next to the mousetrap and he comes out and does a beautiful thing about um, so do beware if you're in here for the mousetrap it's the wrong place right <laughs> 
It's a mousetrap, uh, an Agatha Christie whodunit thing that um, was in here in this theatre, started off in this theatre, in 1483. Um, and it ran here for 60 billion years. And it had to leave the theatre. And you're probably wondering, what, you know, why did it leave the theatre? It left the theatre in the end because all the bricks in the, in the theatre and all the foundations and, and the entire theatre turned to the show and said, Fuck off! <laughs> Okay, and it's but... almost his opening gag is to say almost a joke on saying how would you keep doing the same thing every night I hadn't even noticed that his yeah. opening routine his first big show is about the grind of what it would be like to do the same show every night yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's I amazing think, yeah yeah I think there's, there's times where I've uh, looked out of the audience um, on a Tuesday night somewhere and just looked at them going right well they have paid the same that the, uh, the audience <laughs> in the Edinburgh Play has paid and they've made the same effort to be here and just because it's Tuesday and <clears> you know you have to remind yourself that they're but it, you think you're on a feedback loop so it's you, yeah, yeah. I mean I'm like I wouldn't say the phrase ambitious self-starter and that has to apply to us because you, you have a strong a motivational force of there being a crowd and if they're not laughing you very quickly go jeez oh, I better pick my pick up my heels yeah. here like whatever and yeah, get them yeah. laughing so I think it, it doesn't last long any, any torpor because you're out there you're, you know and, and looking for the same response and also over the course of a week uh, yeah. it, the, most, the most striking thing doesn't matter w- w- in terms of where you're going is a big thing like some towns are just big and raucous some rooms are just better designed but m- Monday night is quiet Tuesday is, has more energy Wednesday it builds up to Saturday when it peaks in energy and then Sunday drops precipitously doesn't matter where you're going on really? Sunday the audience have bought the tickets and, the, and I even say to him like whatever you bought the tickets you didn't know it was going to be a Sunday you've all at some point at 6 o'clock gone will you bother because you do you go oh I'm already into tomorrow it's been the end of the weekend no one is going great Sunday night let's do something on Sunday night like, do you whatever. get do you get um Geographic differences in audiences as well. Sheffield, uh, famously, um, I found because uh, I, I hit a wall of talking to people in Sheffield. The uh, and I was going, has no one done this? Has no one? <laughs> you, it, I, you know, this is what happens in this thing that I talk, and we and we have an interaction. They all just sat back like whatever. And at the end, you big round of applause. They really loved it, like whatever. And I went back the following year, and there was they. I, I teased them about this, and we were all were having a laugh, but they were still only a little bit more vocal. And it's in Yorkshire. And Yorkshire is really look. Yorkshire is really interactive generally. Some yeah. Sheffield don't. There was a man there with a guide dog, uh, and the guide dog. This happened a couple of times. That people have brought in guide dogs to the show, and they always sit and see them at the front. Uh, yeah. And the guide dog stares at you in a doleful way, and it's the <laughs> weirdest thing because it's one dog just, just looking at going. This is what I'm at now. Uh, okay, fine. I'll just sit quietly and look at you. With just his big brown eyes, is really sad, looking oh. at you, and it just saps all the fun. And I said to somebody, going, "Oh, this, that's really weird." He said, "They're always like this here. Bands do the thing where they go. Now you sing in Sheffield, and all these Sheffield go." No, you sing. Uh, and, <laughs> and fans go, okay, well, we'll sing it then. Yep, you sing it. Like, we've, we've come to see you do the thing. The, I've, I've a pet theory that places that are in a kind of ring around London, the Wokings, Dorkings, St. Yeah. Albans, that kind of thing, the uh, High Wickhams, places where people move to at a certain age of their lives from out of London. Mm, yes. And then Aylesbury, let's say. But they're not from there. And if you say, hey, you from who's here from Aylesbury? Or are you from Aylesbury? They go, mm, no, well, mm, you know, and because they've had some journey, you know. <laughs> And they're actually from a small village just outside Aylesbury, like whatever. And they've no sense of real union with yeah, the place. Yeah. Whereas you go to Glasgow, where are from? From Glasgow. They, uh, even if you go to um, Manchester, Birmingham, whatever, they're from there. Yeah. And it's yeah. almost like, I, the weird theory I have is that if a place is a football team, that they're used to shouting for their name. They're used ah, to yeah, there yeah. being a defining thing. And so they are, they're a Dublin crowd. And so the best places are in the large urban centres. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, it's, 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 it's weird. And then there's comics who have their base. Like uh, Peter K. Huge across the north and obviously it bleeds out to the rest of the yeah. country. Michael Huge in the suburban um, south. Yep. Yeah. Obviously bleeds across the country. I do particularly well in Dublin. Um, that's my base gig. The, yep. uh, yeah. so, the, uh, so we all have a kind of a place that we like uh, radiate out from. To a do you structure place. your tour so that you end up uh, in the start town in Dublin. start in Dublin every year there's a room called Vicar Street which is a brilliant room just a brilliant room for messing around in so when the show is very new and you're just kind of and every show is a very much a new I'm adding I'm adding I'm adding I'm changing um, and also there's a touch of it's a memory test right at the very start yeah. I do the first four weeks in Dublin but it means that the first few nights are people who really have gone to everything they've gone they've gone yeah. they followed the story and they're already yep. in a kind of a yeah yeah what's the next what's the next bit of this uh, and so you can pick up like it's a conversation like like 
again, apologies to crowbar ideas out into a character, but, but uh, like he does with the bad crumble and the thing that he'll, he'll know that people have been to a few of the shows and you would never take that for granted, unfortunately, stand up. The, uh, that the, the, it just always feels like everything is slightly new mm. uh, and we're going to impress you all over again. And going from my crowd in Dublin to Hello Woking yeah. or Hello G Live in Guildford or something where that's a brutal test of it in a certain sense of it's, it's colder and people are sitting back in a there's a man off the telly here the man off the telly is going to do some jokes so okay <laughs> and you're going oh god okay so there's no support structure Is that what's so revolutionary and interesting even as a non-stand-up not understanding the technicality of this is that what's so interesting at watching Eddie Izzard he's someone who's doing a thing which you won't notice when you're in the room on that night because you only see him at one venue yeah. you've only seen him in this show wherever it is and what he's doing the craft he's doing which is stand-up changes from night to night and you never know how the audience is going to be what the geography of the, the town is whether it's a noisy crowd a quiet crowd what mood they're in and he's going to do something up there that you could forgive him for being tense and for being on rails. And the real joy of watching Eddie Izzard is him getting up there and saying, ah, pausing, calmly, you lean in as a crowd, and he gives you what feels like the first thought that pops into his head. And oddly, that's so warm and welcoming. Yeah. It's the opposite of barking. Yeah, yeah. It's opposite of coming out of like a club thing going, right, bang, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you. Yeah. I'm going to win this. It's like, no, I'm going to lean back. I'm going to lean back on my thing. And I'm going to start with the least built-up ideas. Like the first two things, the thimble thing, the one after the thimble thing is again just a throwaway stuff. And then as as the show goes on, you can see it becomes larger and larger routines. The Roman Latin thing, that's a good yeah, 15, yeah. 20 minutes. Uh, the salmon thing at the very, very end, that's a perfect length for a, for an encore piece. I yeah. mean, what they didn't show you is obviously, clearly he's walked off stage and walked back on again. And this is the encore piece. But it starts off with him leaning back and going, you're in my world now. And in my world, it'll be a lot of the stuff that you know from your world, but I will also bring in things <laughs> that you didn't expect. And yes, it'll start with the thing about... Animals with haircuts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it'll always be rooted in this. Yeah. Don't ever te- untether itself and fly off too far. Uh, and then I will physically make the world appear, which yes. is honestly the, one of the things that I think he just gets less credit for than he does. I will physically act this out. I will make this occur in front of you. And... The finest review I ever had of him was just an incidental thing that somebody threw out once I was talking to a boss of mine in, in Tele in RT who'd been to see, I think, the tour after this one. Uh, and he said, oh, and he's, he's raving about it. And he said, uh, and then he did a thing. And, uh, and it seemed like a very small thing he said that he did. But by that stage, we were all in his thrall. Yeah. Uh, and... <laughs> A, what a great use of the phrase in your thrall. That's always been my landmark of it. But it was, we were we were just in his world. So therefore, all the steps he wanted us to take, we were willing to do because wow. we were playing in his playground that he's created. And frankly, he could have done anything with us at that stage because we were in his thrall. That is a, a brilliant description of what is effectively, and obviously for you, a masterclass in yes. how to do this. What a brilliant thing to bring in. Thank you very much, Dara O'Brien. Thanks. Is this the sexy tune, Mrs. Bad Crumble? Na 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 na